welcome. Thanks for joining us today. We're here with Tayon Mitchell. He is a Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania-based financial strategist, and he is going to guide us through a lot of those, um, well, I, sounds redundant to say strategies, but also the things that you can actually practically do. And I'm sure we'll talk about why you want to do them, because if you don't have the why, you won't do it. And then take us through what we can do to make sure our finances um, not just thrive, but soar. His program is called Mortgage to Millions, and it teaches you how to take the money that you use to pay off debt and also use that to create not just freedom from debt, but wealth. So we're excited to have you here, Tayon. Thank you for coming. I'm excited. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Can you start us first off just learning about you, who you are, your background, like where you grew up and how on earth you became a financial strategist? Oh, Sure. So, uh, as you mentioned, you know, born and raised here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, growing up, I actually wanted to play ball, you know, football here. And, um, you know, I ended up playing in college and then it kind of ceased after that. And I had no clue uh, what I wanted to do, you know, with my life. And, but I, I came across, you know, a few different financial books that, kind of led me down this journey, one of them being rich debt, poor debt. And it was just one of those things when I was in school when I read that book, I was was wondering why this good information was in the library, but not taught in school, right? I was like kind of confused. And so uh, I just can, kind of continued on this journey of like personal development and reading a lot of business books. And I, I didn't go to school for business, by the way, uh, went to school for psychology. You know, I'm heavily involved in the church and, and ministry and things like that. Um, but I was attracted to business and just through reading a lot of books and talking to my colleagues about it and associates, none of them ever knew what I was talking about. And I said, well, you know what? Maybe I need to dive into the career of being a financial advisor. And so uh, I worked for a company here called Prudential and it was a financial advisor. Uh, doing that, and then also uh, worked for a company here called Liberty Mutual, and learned the insurance side of it. And in uh, about twelve years ago, I decided to kind of just jump ship and and kind of decided to start my own company here with Ungar Financial Group. And uh, you know, we help families find the money that they're losing unknowingly and unnecessarily. And so we we teach a lot of different strategies that. A lot of advisors, I would say, aren't permitted to probably speak to their clients about. And so uh, we just kind of uncover all the details that really help families build wealth and just show them all the secrets of the wealthy and what they're really doing to obtain that generational wealth. I find it interesting that you started with psychology because I think there's so much psychology behind what you're doing now. And I'm sure you use it all the time. Could you maybe explain to us or, or educate us a bit on the reasons that people need to take charge of their financial health and also maybe some of the things that keep people from doing that? The top, let's say the top two or three things that you think inhibit people from doing that. Well, in the beginning, I mean, it's, it's not taught anywhere. Let's start there. You know, and so I can at least speak here. Uh, the the education that I got 
most of it was self-taught. And so, you know, a lot of that information is either taught in the home or you have to end up finding a mentor or something like that. But in the school system, it kind of keeps you to stay um, employed and not necessarily have your money work for itself. And so I would say that's one of the big reasons that people are, are held back. And I would say another thing is it's discipline. You know, we want the the shiny object and, you know, we see what other people are, have, but we're not willing to to learn what they know to achieve what they have. And uh, we just want to kind of skip steps. At least a lot of, a lot of times I see my clients still want to hurry up and buy the, the the latest and the greatest thing. And I say, well, it would have been better if you had your money work for you to be able to purchase that than you using your time and energy to go ahead and, and purchase that. And so we're kind of taught things to, you know, you work, you buy, you work, you buy. And my whole thing is I, we work and we allow our money to work for us allow our money to be able to uh, pretty much finance the lifestyle that we're after. And so those are a lot of the principles that I teach here. Was there something else? That, I think I might have missed something else that you might have asked. I'm sorry. I think that was it. Um, I think you pretty much combined them together, both questions and the answers, and it made complete sense. I completely agree. I do not remember learning I, maybe a few things in one class about money management in school um and we could speculate as to the reasons that that is the case but you are you are entirely right school is designed to create workers not entrepreneurs and not people who can figure out how to spend their time to get their money to work for them that's something that's a foreign concept many people let's dive into that a little bit more how on earth can your money work for you instead of you just spending your time to make money? So there's there's several formats. Um, you know, I would say the 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 most popular way is through real estate. I would say people kind of do that here. Uh, then you'll have the paper assets where people have you know they invest in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Um, my way is a little bit more unique because I look at it as you know, you can get into real estate. However, most people, you got to kind of have a nice nest egg to get involved in the real estate. Uh, however, when you go to, to the stocks, bonds, and mutual funds, there's a, there's a lot of risk there. And there's something that I teach um, here to talk about a specific wealth account that we'll dive into maybe in a few more questions or so. But, uh, and what that looks like where I show people how to position their money where it's always working for them in the background, they also always have access to it to make major capital purchases that they would make anyway, but their money continues to keep building and keep compounding as they make these major um, expenses that they have uh, regardless. And so uh, we could dive into that a little bit more if you're ready right now. I'm not quite sure yet. So, Well, first, I just would like to talk to you a little bit about what I mentioned before we started recording that a lot of people find the language around around money really intimidating. Even think hearing the word like a capital and ROI and just these terms that for you are part of your everyday lingo. For other people, it's like hearing a doctor talk about a diagnosis and they have no idea what it refers to. And it all just refers to the way that money is 
formatted, I suppose. Could you, or do you have, is part of your program where you educate people about what these terms mean? Or do you, um, I mean, I've seen TikTok accounts that they'll go and they'll just literally have a lineup of words of the financial terms and then tell you what it means in layman's terms. How do you help people overcome that hurdle of knowing what on earth is being discussed? Absolutely. So that's, that's really good. So yes, we do break down certain terms, but I would say even more importantly, we actually bring terms to the market. Uh, and you know, where we, I'm not going to say water it down, but we use everyday language that people can understand. And so instead of using these, you know, 10 letter words, you know, where I, even I got to look at the dictionary, like, what does that mean again? Uh, you know, we bring, you know, just normal words to the marketplace where people are are able to understand, kind of get excited. Uh, I like to use a lot of analogies. Uh, anytime, you know, we're helping our clients walk through their situation, I try to meet them right where they are, you know, and try to use a story based upon something that's in their life. I'll say, so it's like, you know, you've been on a podcast and you're doing this, this and that. And so they're like, oh yeah, you know what? I, I do this every day. That makes a lot of sense. And so that's the one thing I, I should say I work really hard to do because it's meant to make it complicated and make you fearful. And you just put your money in a place and you just kind of hope and pray that you'll get the return one day. And it's, it doesn't work that way. Um, you, you'd have to really understand what you're doing in this industry. If you want to be, you know, obtain any type of wealth at all, you got to understand the language and you have to understand what you're doing. And so I just think it's unfortunate that many advisors, speak in these large terms to sound smart and a lot of clients out of fear they'll still put their money with them assuming that it's going to go well uh where we try to educate first because we don't want to sell you on anything we want you to to buy because you understand and you're making a business decision to do business with us and so we lead with the education first and that's the most important thing because if you don't understand it I don't, I don't want your signature on anything. You know what I mean? You have to be able to understand it for us to even consider doing business with you. One thing that I think people also don't understand is that like what you've just mentioned, when you hire a business strategist or you're working with a business strategist or sorry, a financial strategist and you're doing business with them, they are, it's a service that they are, doing for you as in you're buying a money service you're buying a financial service you're not i think a lot of people think that um and and this is where i'm really glad you said what you did about teaching people and having them using analogies and educating them because a lot of these financial um advisors will say oh well you know this percent of that goes to us as our fee is only an extra 0.5 per year and then people think, oh, that's not a lot, but they don't understand the accrual over over time. So I'm really glad that you um that you're really honest with people, you know, and and teach them and educate them with that. I know a lot of um, I mean, having read some books about these practices, sometimes it is it is it is very complicated, and I think it is designed to be that so that the people who are already adept at the game can carry on benefiting. From new players, I suppose, is the analogy I would use. Right, right, right. 
So with your program, um, can you talk to us a little bit about if someone is coming to you, and I think from the mortgage to millions, if we could start with maybe that typical story, because it sounds like it is a typical type of customer who would come to you. Someone who comes and says, I have a mortgage, I have $40,000 of other debt, and I have a mortgage, and how do I fix this? Where do you start with them? Great. And so then I'll say, uh, Jeannie, is that with the term mortgage to millions, a lot of people do assume that you need to actually own a house. And I will say uh, you don't have to at all with, the, with our mortgage to millions program. The whole idea of it was that we could help families become debt free within five to 10 years, including their mortgage if they have one. And if they continue with the program by the time they reach, you know, 30 years in, they'll have amassed up to a million dollars, if not more, um, in their retirement plan outside of what, what else they have in place through their, their employer. Um, but with that person, uh, you know, obviously we do a full financial analysis looking exactly where they are. And, you know, so are they currently overpaying on their mortgage? We look at any other debts that they have, credit cards, student loans, uh, car note, any tax debt, medical bills, anything like that. And so we itemize everything. And the first thing we look for is any discretionary income within a person overpaying their debt. And so a lot of, a lot of people who come to us, they're currently already looking to get out of debt and they've been following, um, you may have heard of Dave Ramsey or Susie Orman. Uh, they use something that's called like a debt snowball. And um, so they may already have that in place or they're they're just using that discretionary income and, hey, I'll pay it $100 more on this card, another $100 more on this credit card, and it's kind of sporadic. Whatever the, the situation is, um, we take that discretionary income and we create what's called a wealth account. All right. And here we use a mutual dividend paying uh, cash value life insurance policy. OK. And so that's what we use. And we hug it right next to their debt. All right. Now, I'm going to go into the formula and the details of it. But uh, we use this discretionary income and we put it in the wealth portion, the cash value portion of the policy. And so there's ways to put the money directly in that area so that you have access to it. Okay. That money continues to compound. Okay. And then when you have enough money in this account to be able to pay off the lowest debt, we're going to borrow from the policy, pay off that debt. We're going to use that discretionary income and refund the policy back up. Now, what people may or may not know when you use this strategy, you're not withdrawing from the policy. You're actually borrowing from the policy. And the reason why we want to borrow uh, Genie versus being able to withdraw from it is the insurance company is going to lend you their money because you put your money inside the policy. Now, why do we want to do that? The reason why we want to do that is because your money is going to continue to compound as you use the insurance company's money. 
And so your place is being held in line. So we're holding your place in line, paying off the debt. As we pay off that debt, we recoup that discretionary income and we're putting it back. And now we're at a higher place in line. It's kind of like, imagine Jeannie, you and I, we went to the grocery store and um, you're like, oh man, I forgot to get the eggs. Can you hold my place in line? And so you run and you get the eggs, but by the time you come back, I didn't start over. I'm actually closer to the cashier now. And we're doing the same thing with, with the wealth is that you're going to be paying off this debt anyway. I wrote a book called Spend Differently. You're going to be purchasing a car anyway. You're going to go on vacation anyway. And so instead of me telling you what you can't do, I'm just going to show you what else you can do. All right. And hold your place in line. And by the time you're done, you're going to look 20, 30 years down the line. You're going to say, wow, this was actually one of the best financial decisions, strategies I've ever implemented. It wasn't any risk. I was able to hold my place in line. My money was compounding with interest. And the best part is I have access to it tax-free. That's amazing, especially that it's tax-free. I love that. Yeah. I wanted to ask what you were talking about just now. Um, and you borrow from the life insurance company's money, not your policy. Um, with that, and you're paying that back, I'm assuming that's at a lower interest rate, or how does that work as compared to just paying off your debt with your own discretionary income? Yeah, so think about it. Um, when you just pay off your debt, you're not building wealth. So for starters, so that's that's all you're doing. So the wealth side, you're at zero, and you're just taking your discretionary income and paying off the debt. Um, that is a way to do it. Uh, I believe that what we teach in Mortgage to Millions, we call it a wealth snowball, by the way. Uh, okay. I believe that the wealth snowball is a lot more beneficial than a regular debt snowball. Um, now, whenever you do borrow from the insurance policy, there is an interest rate that you have to pay. But what I tell people is that even if the interest rate is the same, you'll still be in the positive. So let me give you an example. Let's say you have $100,000 inside of your insurance policy. And let's say you go ahead to, uh, let's say the interest rate's 5%, by the way. And let's say you borrow $40,000 from the policy. And that interest rate on the loan is 5%. Well, if the policy's growing by 5% on 100,000 and you borrow 40,000 at 5%, you see you have a spread there and um, that's what we're after. This is what we call you become your own banker, okay? Yeah. Because you're making that spread in between what the insurance company is giving you and the what they're charging you on the loan. And on the loan itself, it's a uh, simple interest, Jeannie, and, but your money's growing by compound interest. Ah, okay. That makes a big difference as well. Big difference. Yeah. That's, I like the way you've explained that is you've only taken part of it and your other money is accruing. And so, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And, and let me uh, break that down just a little bit more for your audience. So using the same example, you have that $100,000 and it's earning 5%. Okay. And let's just say this person's looking to uh, purchase a new vehicle and that vehicle costs $40,000. They There's two ways that they could do it. They could go to the dealership and, you know, they could finance it or 
they could decide to to purchase it outright. And so they're going to borrow from their policy. Now, when they borrow from their policy, yes, you still have to pay that 40,000. What's to say you should pay that 40,000 back, but that your money is still compounding from the 100,000, even though you took the 40,000 out. And so your place was held in line at the 100,000. And that's the, that's the really the, the biggest part of it is that your place is held in line and anybody can do it on any level. You know, I, I use a number like $100,000, but it could be $3,000 and you're doing this for Christmas. You know what I mean? For someone's birthday, you'd be $5,000 because you're going on vacation. Um, and so, but the main thing is get involved and get your money working for you. I call it keeping your money in motion at all times. Okay. And so it's a simple concept. It's not something that you could just call your traditional financial advisor to do it's simple but um the moving parts are complex and so uh but i'm sure that you know there's or some specialists in in your area that could probably speak to it yeah i'm not sure how the laws would vary on on all sorts of setups it's, it again it's a very complex thing over here as well but i have a feeling that the same things would be possible it would just be called something different um, so what we were talking about just now with the life insurance, everything, and maybe withdrawing money, uh, I know I'm having read rich dead, poor dead myself and the difference between, um, assets and costs and things like that. Uh, do you advise people to take money if they're looking to snowball that, uh, wealth, do you advise people to take money and use it to get some sort of asset that will generate cash flow. Does that ever come up? A hundred percent. And and so if you're able to take that money from the policy and use that towards a specific asset. So I have I have clients who will use this for real estate. And I tell I tell them it's like it, the policy and real estate they're kind of like first cousins here. And so they will uh use a money let's just say if they're doing a house flip. You know, they buy a house that, you know, needs some work. They put work into it and then they go ahead and they, they flip and let's just say that they earn, you know, $50,000 from that flip. They'll put it into a policy and then they'll do the whole process over again. Their places out in line, borrow from it, flip another house, refinance another house, uh, so on and so forth. And they, they do this back and forth action, but we get, further and further closer to the cashier, right? As we are moving up the up the line there. So uh but yeah, using it with another asset, you're using it to start your own business. Uh I, I know a lot of people who will who are ten ninety nine who will put all of their commissions inside of here and allow, you know, that tax burden to be a little bit less uh because their money's compounding. Right. And so uh, a lot of you know, my 1099 uh, folks love to use this as well. Can you define 1099 for us just to make sure everybody knows what it means? Yeah, yes, yes. So 1099 is uh, that individual where the taxes are coming out. You know, they're receiving that commission um, 100%. And then at the end of the year, they're going to be, uh, they'll be able to write, you know, their taxes off, you know, based on their expenses that they've used. 
uh, but they're receiving all of their money up front. No taxes is are coming out of their paycheck when they're ten ninety nine. That's a lot nicer. <laughs> Absolutely, because you know you're, you're, you're more control whenever you're in ten ninety nine. Because you know a lot of the W two, at least what that's what we we call it here, the W two employees. Well, you're anytime you you get a tax return. That really means that you lent the government the money all year long, right? And so they're just giving you back what was already yours versus the 1099 way. We're just only giving them what belongs to them, you know, while we already write off everything. So we're in more control when we do the 1099. Yeah. It's all these um, phrases that I think we just need to make sure people understand what it means. that because... Yeah, it's it's a it's a complicated world of finance. So that's a really interesting strategy. I I am wondering once people take some of that money out of the life insurance, and it still holds their p- place in mind, but they're just running an errand with it, like you said, running to get something else, at the grocery store, and come back their place in mind. Um, that money that they then, if they have just an asset and it starts accruing money or being profitable is it advisable to take that money and put it back into the life insurance scheme or is it advisable i know you said some people will roll it into another house but at what point does that profit become need another home or does it ever because i know i hear a lot about um setting up your businesses within a trust and things like this and i'm wondering at what point you move into other financial forms or modalities. Hey, that's that's a great point. So the the policy is this like the central hub of everything. Because the beautiful thing is at the end of the day, it's still life insurance. So you know, that day whenever you do pass away, it your your heirs are able to have the keys to the kingdom per se. Uh, so it's it's a nice central place for it. Um, in regards to keeping money outside of it and allowing it to accrue, let's just say within real estate, you're just able to take that money and purchase some more real estate and purchase more real estate. Um, that that can be done, but they miss momentum by doing it that way because you got to think about it. So. Uh, if we were to flip a house and roll money into a new house, well, that money needs to be deposited somewhere before we purchase that next house. Uh, so even if it's your savings account, checking account, money market account, it has to sit somewhere before the next transaction. Just by it sitting in the policy, it just moves you up in line. And we're taking it and we're moving it whenever we're ready, we're ready to to do it again with the next house and then the next house. And so, although you you can keep them separate, uh, but you won't go as far up in line on the life insurance side by keeping it separate. Uh, but it also keeps you, anytime you borrow the insurance company's money as well, believe it or not, it's your money is still held in there and it's safe. Uh, and so God forbid you were to mess up on this other side outside of the policy, 
Well, now your money's kind of 100% at risk, you know? So the insurance company is backing your money with their money uh, as you're doing it. And so that's the, that's the nice side about it is that your money's also insured even though, you know, we're, this is life insurance. And so not only your life insured, but your money's insured as well. So it's a safer way to do it. Um, now, you mentioned about the trust. A trust is a very important piece of it. What's nice about a trust is the trust can own the policy. Okay. And so um, there's, a, there's a book. I think it was called the, the Rockefeller's Way or something like that, where it explains how uh, the Rockefellers use trust within their life insurance policies to amass the wealth that they have and the money that continues to grow from generation after generation after generation. Uh, and so uh, trust is a very important part, but having the trust on the policy is like turbocharging generational wealth uh, for you and your family. You're on mute, Jeannie. I cannot hear you. I'm wondering what's happening. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so I read a book that was called Spin Differently. Okay. And um, in this, in my book, that, that was the, the segue into Mortgage to Millions. And the whole idea of of that was that there was going to be things that you were going to purchase regardless if we did business together. See, when I first got in the industry, it was, I kind of got caught up doing a lot of budgeting for clients and, and not to say that budgeting is bad or anything like that, but it was more or less telling them what they can do, what they can't do. And it's like, oh, you know, this is, this isn't fun. You know, I work too hard for my money and I'm not able to, you know, get Starbucks. Like, what are you telling me? You know, and so, and I and I even realized, okay, this is kind of a, a hard way to do personal finance. And so instead of going that route, I just knew that there was a lot of money that clients were losing unknowingly and unnecessarily. And so what do I mean by that? Is that when you purchase a car, what happens is you lose the opportunity for that money to ever make you money again. Okay. And so this is, this is what I mean is that you, um, when you purchase a car, you have two ways you could do it. You could use credit or you can use cash. Right. And so most people use credit. They go to the dealership and they finance it. They go into debt and they pay it back and they go into debt and they pay it back. And they're like right back at the Z, we call it the zero line. All right. But you also can use cash. You, you have enough money and you pay it, you pay off the car, but then you're back at zero. And then you save back up and you're back at zero. And so with both of those options, you end up at the same place. What I show people is how to become a wealth creator. We're, we have the mindset of the saver, meaning you save up the money. But whenever you put it inside of the policy and you're using the insurance company's money, you don't come back down to zero. That's the difference. 
And so your money's held in place. And then as you pay it back and you purchase car number two, you're at a higher place in line. You purchase car number three, you're at a higher place in line. As you do this three or four times, the the the, the money that you're uh that's growing by compound interest will be enough to purchase the car itself just by using that strategy. And I, and I tell people this, Jeannie, because it, anybody, no matter what their income level is, uh, could get involved in something like this. As long as they have a little bit of discretionary income, I would say probably a minimal of, you know, maybe $150 or so um, that they're able to save per month. Uh, they could probably get involved with a strategy um, like this that that we teach. And so I recognize, once again, people are going to go on vacation. They're going to be helping their kids through school. Uh, they're going to be purchasing houses. They're going to be purchasing cars, home improvements, maybe some weddings in the future. And so there's all these major capital purchases. And the one thing I tell a client or I say a prospect when I first sit down with them, is the one thing I know about you without knowing much is you're going to spend a lot of money. And it's not because you're bad with money. It's just because you're human. All right. And you have, you're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. And so in my book, spend differently. That's exactly what I'm showing you is how to spend it differently because I want to hold your place in line while you make all these big purchases anyway. You know, I'm not the one who's going to convince you not to, you know, give your kids a, a great Christmas, right? You're going to spend the 500 to to $1,000 or what have you, regardless. My whole thing is, since you're going to do it already, let me just show you a better way. And so I don't want to convince you that it's a bad thing. That was kind of the old man. I realized that we had to kind of rewind it and come back a, a, a better way uh, to, to educate our clients. Fast forward now to mortgage to millions. What I didn't recognize is that I was able to use this to, to pay off debt. And so when I wrote spend differently, I didn't have it in mind that I could use the same concept to pay off debt. And I was like, man, should I, should I just write a new book? And so instead of doing it, I just created a whole, a whole program where I just teach people from beginning to end through video modules and, we break down all of the financial terms. We give real life case studies and I really show people the ins and outs of how to put this together, whether they're using it to pay off debt, whether they're using it to pay it, pay off a car. It doesn't matter what the situation is. How can this policy serve me? Because most people think that life insurance is only for their beneficiaries, right? Whereas the living benefits outweigh the death benefits. And so that's one of the things that we teach here. Thank you for everything you've taught us so far. I've learned a lot. Um, these are techniques I've heard of before, but you know, when you hear these things online, you wonder, is that really legitimate? You know, because so many things online aren't. So it's good to know that, yes, it does actually work. So if we're looking at the overall structure of what you were talking about and setting up, and I know um, you help people with the actual execution of this. But for the overall structure, you said a trust owning the life insurance policy and that turbocharges it was your phrase. Why Why does that, oh, first off, 
when you talked a little bit about the trust, could you just explain to us what a trust technically is? And then when it owns a life insurance policy, why is that a turbo charge? So with with a trust, it's it's pretty much almost like a will on steroids. And what I mean by that, it's it's a it's a place that you kind of hold your declaration per se of, of how you want your finances to um to flow after you leave. Okay. And so uh just a prime example, let's say uh in my case, uh, I want to leave my business and everything to my children. Uh, but I need it to be spelled out a certain way. And so what a trust does is it brings it attorneys involved because only attorneys um, are able to help you form the trust. It's not something that you can kind of, I and mean, I guess you can do it online. Maybe it's a, an attorney on the other side of it who helps you, but they help you with the language to make sure that whatever you want done will get done. And so that's what the trust is to make sure that whatever you want to happen after you go will happen legally. You know, I may not want my children to touch the money until they're a certain age. And so once they reach a certain age, they're able to have X amount of dollars. Once they're this age, then maybe they're able to have partnership in the business. Once they reach this milestone, they're able to do this. If they want to bring my grandchildren involved, then these steps need to be in place. All of those details can be explained within a trust. And so when I say it's kind of like on turbocharge, as the trust owns the policy, when you pass away, there's a there's a big amount of wealth that's held in the trust that the attorneys control on your behalf to say that this is how we're going to divvy up in the Mitchell family, per se, or the Rockefeller family. And, you know, you could put stipulations to say, hey, you can't have access to this unless you have the same policy. Because then now I know that my grandchildren will also be taken care of and you're not hogging up everything that I'm passing to you. And so it could be very detailed to make sure that it duplicates all the way down. Um, and, you know, with a lot of families, this is a big tradition for them to create trust and, uh, and use the life insurance because, see, life insurance doesn't go through probate. So that money's passed down tax-free. And so, you know, the courts aren't hassling the, your heir, their beneficiaries about you owing on property or owing on, you know, just what have, any loans that you have. The life insurance goes directly to those family members um, without having to, to worry about any type of probate at all. So having that in a trust really secures to make sure that what you want done will get done. Okay. I had two big questions pop into my mind with that. Okay. The first one was, well, actually, I'll start with the second one. The second one was when it the life insurance goes to the family members, doesn't go through probate. Um, does it pay out to them or does it pass on as a life insurance policy for them? It's pay, it pays out to them. Okay. But if it's in a trust, it pays out to them the way you want it paid out to them. 
Okay. But just regular life insurance, it, you know, whoever your beneficiary is will receive a check for that death benefit. But with a trust, it's say, like you said, you can distribute a certain amount over a certain period of time where they have to meet benchmarks or something. Correct. And that, and keep in mind that it doesn't even have to be to family. You know, a lot of people do this for organizations. You know, we may uh, make my church the beneficiary. Uh, you know, we may, this may go to a particular business. This money is only be used to help um, my granddaughter start college. You know, so it could be very specific um, as far as how you will want that money distributed. Oh, that is brilliant. I really like that because I think a lot, of, and I like that an attorney would get involved with it because a lot of times we just don't know how to kind of phrase these things so that they endure legally and can't be misinterpreted. Okay. I'm trying to remember the other question I had. It suddenly flown from my mind. Um, I'm sure something else for you, though. Okay. okay. So I want to give an example of, because you, you mentioned you see this stuff online and, you know, you want to want to know is like if it's is it really legit, you know, how does it work? Because there, there are a lot of scam artists that are out there uh, and there's a lot of people I to say who are trying to do this and aren't educated. OK, so I want to I want to just kind of share an example and hopefully this is clear to to really help people understand. So if any of you are out there taking notes, this is a really good time to take notes. And so let's say that you have a policy. We're not, it doesn't matter what the death benefit is, but let's just say you're able to pay a thousand dollars a month. That's doubles your budget. Let's just start there. Well, what most insurance agents will do is they'll take that thousand dollars a month and they'll, you'll purchase insurance and they'll say that, Hey, in a few years, you're going to have some cash value. It's going to look really nice five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road. And they're 100% right. But if you were using this to build your own bank, that would be a horrible way to, to do it. And that agent still will say, well, it's kind of like building your own bank, but you know, you, you shouldn't touch it for you know at least four years because in a whole life policy, for those of you all who may or may not have one, um, there's a there's a spot that's called cash value, and that's like the savings account portion of the policy. And in there, normally the first few years, the amount of money in it is zero. Normally, okay, unless I'm I'm building it for you, right? Uh, or, or or you know one of our advisors here. But okay, so we have the thousand dollars. What I know that maybe that agent doesn't know is that there's there's several ways to build the policy. If I take the $1,000 a month and I'll, all I do is get you insurance, the agent gets most of the commission. And that's, that's why whole life kind of gets a bad uh, reputation because of that. Whereas whenever we receive the $1,000, I'm going to make sure that most of that money is going to cash value. So how do we do that? Well, now let's go to the death benefit. Okay, let's say you need a million dollars in coverage. Okay, so and a million dollars cost in whole life 
$1,000 per month, okay? We're just making up numbers here, whole numbers. So uh, agent got a big commission. It's like, okay, $1,000 a month. Oh, I, I, made, I made it out pretty well. Well, what I know that the agent doesn't know, and even probably what the client doesn't know, is we can still get that million dollars and it doesn't have to cost you a thousand dollars a month. So normally people need that much insurance because they have a lot of risk. Kids are young. They still have a mortgage. They have a lot of debt, different things like that. So I know that that's only for a moment of time. So what I would propose is I would take that thousand dollars and let's say we would say, um, Maybe a hundred to two hundred of it needs to be in whole life, and that would give us a hundred thousand dollars of whole life, let's say. And then we would take maybe about fifty dollars and get a nine hundred thousand dollar term rider that we would put on it. So the policy only cost about two hundred dollars. I'm taking the eight hundred dollars, and guess what? I'm putting it right in your cash value day one. And so guess what happens? I get less commission, but you have a better policy. And as, as I do that for you, guess what you're going to do? You're going to tell all your family members that, hey, we all need to do this versus the other policy. It was expensive. You're trying to make sure like, man, do I have it every month to do it? Did I make the right decision? See, if if this starts to become a burden, we did we've done it wrong. And so I'm making sure that this policy that you could afford for $1,000 only costs $200 because if all hell does break loose and, you know, you, you run on, uh, you run against hard times, then you've already paid up the policy and the policy, you know, it could probably go on autopilot for a few months as you're in between jobs and life happens, you're taking care of a loved one. So it's a lot safer this way too. Uh, and so that's how we build them. And so there's three, three components. We have the whole life portion. We have a term rider and then we have the cash value portion that we could put money directly inside of it. So every time you make your insurance payment, your policy is growing every single month. And so that's how we, we, um, we craft the policy. That's really innovative. Don't know how you figure that out. <laughs> well, you know what? It's it's one of those things where it's talking to underwriters about what what we can and can't do, and um, just through research, found it out that we could put money directly into the cash value versus putting it in a regular savings account, and that's what we would want to do. And um, by doing it that way, uh, like I said, it's a it's a lot safer to the client. The agent gets less commission, but it's it's not really about how much I make on a per client basis. I'd rather my name be associated with families and helping families build wealth than looking for one-time commissions. Uh, and so by doing it this way, uh, obviously, you know, we receive so many different referrals uh, be because we're helping so many families out and we're educating them too. So in the Mortgage to Millions program, just what I share with you, we have a whole module where it breaks it all down. And so we want you educated on everything that we know here so that now you're speaking the same language that we speak. 
whenever we're uh, whenever we're putting these policies together. So um, we really want to make sure that you understand all the moving parts before moving forward, because we're this is a long term commitment here. You know what I mean? We're we're in on this together, you know. I want to make sure people understand what you meant there when you said writer. Um, I Everything you just said, I, I totally agree with, and I think it's really creative. I just want to make sure the terms are, for those who are listening and haven't bought your program, when you say writer and they're saying, well, I do need a million dollar life insurance policy, what does that mean that there's a $900,000 writer? Great question. So a writer... Imagine you had a hamburger. A rider's like toppings, okay, that you could put on top of a, a hamburger or whatever, whatever you're eating. So the main course would be the the hamburger itself, okay, uh, and the rider's what we're putting on top. So the we have whole life insurance and we have term life insurance, you know. And so whole life, it co- just like the name itself, it covers your entire life and term just like the, the name itself, it covers you for a specific time period, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So just making sure that we're, we're clear on just whole life versus term. Whole life is traditionally a lot more expensive than term insurance. Um, but with term insurance, we know that you really only, not going to say only need it during certain moments of time, but that's how we use it. Because there's more times where you need more insurance and, you know, and that's whenever there's a lot of debt, you have a lot of dependents, um, you know, your income is needed um, in your household. And so you have two options to uh, make sure that your your beneficiaries are covered. You could do it by way of whole life insurance or you could do it by way of term. Now, within a whole life policy we can add a, a term rider. So not necessarily a whole term policy itself. We're just putting an add-on of a term rider, just adding a topping to it. It acts as if it's its own term insurance policy, but it's just a rider on top of the whole life. All right. And they both work hand in hand. It's a little cheaper to have the term rider than a term policy, by the way, too. I didn't know that. Well, I love the way you've explained it. And it makes a lot of sense that you, as your wealth grows, you're going to need a less expensive insurance policy because you already have the other, well, a less expensive, you wouldn't need the term as much. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's adaptable to your situation. It's something I think a lot of people don't know about. With that, um, I think the other thing that I wanted to clarify what that is you were talking about at the beginning life insurance policy and using that as your bank and now we've gotten to different types of life insurance the whole and the term and there's different breakdowns of the cash value and things like that so when you if you're deciding to follow your program and to take money out and use that let's say you're starting a business and you want to take out thirty thousand dollars loan out of your insurance is that what area is that money coming out of in conjunction with what we just discussed? Because now that we've added in these other terms, it's a little more uh, unsure. Okay. No, great question. 
So the cash value is the money that is like your savings account that's in the policy. When Now, whenever we're going to take that loan out for the business, like you mentioned, $30,000, that's coming from the insurance company's reserves. Right. Okay. But they, they're qualifying you for the 30000 because you already saved that up into your policy on the cash value. So they're taking a look at your cash value and saying, oh, well, yeah, you have $50,000. Of course, Jeannie, you could borrow $30,000 of our money. You already gave us 50000 of yours, no problem. Okay, that clears it up. Thank you for that. I was wondering at what point that starts to become the... But you were like you were saying, you can do this with any amount, even starting on a smaller amount. Correct. Any amount. And so now someone may ask, here's a question that, there's a good question that um, your audience may want to know. Well, what happens to that loan if you were to pass away? Okay. And so um, let's say we're going to go back to you having that million dollars in coverage uh, and you took out, now don't forget, million dollars in death benefit. But let's just say your cash value may be at $50,000 and you borrow 30000 Okay. Um, then what would happen is the insurance company would look at the million-dollar death benefit. They would also look at that you've grown your policy to 50000 So if you never took out the 30000 your heirs would probably get a $1,050,000, 60000 Okay, so they're going to take that minus the loan. Okay, so your uh, heirs would probably get um, right around a million twenty thousand if you borrow thirty thousand out. Okay, so whatever your death benefit is minus the loan is what would be given to your heirs beneficiaries. That makes sense. They're just recouping whatever it was that that they loaned. Um, yeah. Wow. What an interesting strategy. And it's really nice to know that it's um, actually real, <laughs> that people can do it. Where can people find you when they hear this and they say, I have debt. I want to make money and I'm going to have my money earn me money, which is something a lot of people need to understand that is possible. Absolutely. So where can they find you when they want to look for you? You know what? One of the best places to find me is on LinkedIn. You can just look me up. I'm the only Tayon Mitchell um, there. So uh, you can find me there. And if you also want um, information um, for Mortgage to Millions, one thing, um, Jeannie, I said, our, our program is valued um, at a little over $1,000, okay? Um, but one thing I can do for your audience, be, although we're in different you know, countries, um, I still would be willing to gift the information to them, though. Okay. And so, you know, they can feel free to uh, sign up at mortgage to millions.net uh, and, you know, kind of put your information in there. And um, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be opposed to having a conversation uh, to even learn what I don't know on your side and even maybe find what other carriers in your area may operate the same way that some of our carriers do here and maybe be able to point them in the right direction. But they'll at least be able to understand the concepts there. And so you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Taylor Mitchell, or you can even go to mortgage to millions.net 
and uh, we'll be able to gift you the program and you can learn all the terminology and take the quizzes and, and learn the ins and out of what we teach here. Oh, that is brilliant. That'll be so helpful. So many people. One last question before we finish up here. And we've talked a lot about this and it's great for people who are in a situation where they're making that money and they're wanting to, well, not making a lot of money, but making enough that they want to start that change and enroll. But I would like to also extend an invitation and maybe a bit of a motivation to people who are younger, who are wanting to start a wealth snowball. Why on earth should they bother even worrying or thinking about how to create wealth when they're, say, 16, 17 years old? Absolutely. Great question. Well, the thing is, is when you're talking about compound interest, you know, your money is growing every single year. So the the earlier you start this wealth snowball, and I would even just say just cash value accumulation because, you know, you may not have any debt at that age. Um, the the more the faster we can get your money compounding in the early ages. I mean, anyone who, who does this concept, everyone says I should have started earlier. I should have started earlier. So if you're listening to this podcast, start now because you don't want to be that person who says, I wish I would have started earlier because age does matter because we got to remember in this program here that we're talking about, it's life insurance. And so because you're younger, the cost of insurance is also low as well. So that's very beneficial. The fact that your money can compound earlier and now you have, you could have your money compound for decades at a time. That's going to be so much more beneficial. So the sooner that you could start, um, the better because you don't even need a lot of money. And by the time you're looking to retire, if you want to retire, uh, you would have, you'll be so far ahead uh, and you'll be able to pass down that to your family uh, and be able to teach so many people what you have done. And so I highly recommend that the sooner, the better, you know, for sure. Brilliant. I think that I really like the way you approach it as well. Instead of some austere, you can't have approach, it says, well, you need to live life. Let's teach you how to do it in a way that benefits you, benefits the people that you care about and lets you enjoy your life. Correct. Absolutely. And I do have a strategy for any business owners that you may have who watch this uh, podcast. I'm not sure how the tax laws are there, but let me, sh let me share with you one of the tax laws we have here is that business owners, um, they get a write-off um, where they can write off up to, I want to say uh, it's thirteen dollars or $14,000 per child for a minor, okay? And the reason why I, I, I mention that is life insurance within itself, at least here, isn't tax deductible. However, one of the legal um, loopholes is if I have my child work for me and my child works a certain amount of hours, I'm legally able to write off 14000 up to $14,000. I could take that $14,000 and now put it right into a policy. And now I'm saving up for their college fund every year and things like that. And I could do that for every child. So it's a way to legally write off life insurance through your child helping you out in your business. And let me just tell you, 
there are dozens of strategies like that that exist. That's just a simple one that some of your business owners can follow right away. Even if it's not 14000 it may be 5000 whatever you could do, but you're able to take that money and put it right into the policy. You also can get your write-off at the same time. There are policies similar to that in the UK. I know there's one that is pushed by banks a lot where they are saying if you save up for your children, X amount, and you can do this per year and it's tax-free, but those are banks that are offering that service and it's probably not the best return for your money. <laughs> right, right, right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, we'll put all the links below for everyone. Tayon, I appreciate your time and your skill and your willingness to um, prioritize the families you're helping over your own wealth accumulation, which I hope goes really well as well for you. Thank you, Tayon. No problem. Thank you so much. It's been fun. Cheers. Bye-bye.